Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. And just like that, Advent is here. Today our Christmas season begins. Our journey to the manger starts, well, right now. At our home, we have a basket full of Christmas books that we keep in the family room. And as Advent begins, we pull out one each night and we read together as a family. My personal favorite Christmas book in that basket is Grumpy Badger's Christmas. Maggie likes One Snowy Night. Annabeth prefers The Nutcracker. And Henry and Adam like A Star Wars Christmas. <laughs> the Coming of Rogue One. Now that's not actually really a book or a story, um, but it feels like it should be at this time. If it was, that's what we would be reading. Christmas stories are fun. They're wonderful. But each one really takes its cue from the greatest Christmas story of all times, the truest Christmas story, the reason that we are gathered here today for the beginning of Advent. And so we open our Bibles today, our scriptures, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one, to read the great story of Christmas. Matthew begins his Gospel with the genealogy of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus. And then we read this, these words, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And so today as I read this story to us, I want to invite us to come to this narrative anew with fresh ears, excited to hear once again, or perhaps you're hearing it for the first time today, the story of the first Christmas. I want you to feel the anticipation of the good news of God coming to us in a baby. I want you to feel the humiliation and the stress of Joseph as he hears of Mary's pregnancy during their betrothal. I want you to feel the wonder of a God who speaks so clearly in a dream to a man that it changes the course of his life. And I want you to hear the clarity and beauty of a very old prophecy spoken by Isaiah hundreds of years before this moment about a baby who would be born named Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to also remember as I read this that this story flows from the pen of Matthew a disciple of Jesus who was called from his despised life of tax collecting and cheating to a life of love, to a life of the beloved. So listen to the birth of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. God, may your word to us this morning be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May your word sink deeply into our hearts today and in this season that we might find our way to the manger only to discover your great love for us and for this world. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, our story today begins with a marriage or a pledge, if you will, to be married, which in Jewish culture at that time was in effect a marriage. Only a divorce could separate a betrothal. Under the law, the pledge of marriage would have been made in front of witnesses who sealed that the the coming together was legal. But another year or so would intervene before the wife would move into the home of her husband and he would take on her support. So our story today begins during that pledge phase of Mary and Joseph's marriage. It would have been a time of serious and joyful preparation for life together. But very quickly, Matthew introduces the conflict of the story. We haven't even finished the first sentence of the story when we discover that young Mary is pregnant. The unfolding love story is suddenly interrupted. It's brought to a halt. Almost immediately, the beautiful story of Jesus' birth becomes somewhat ugly. A scandalous pregnancy, discussion of divorce. And we think, wait, is this the story that we're supposed to read to our children? Isn't there a nicer version somewhere else? You see, for Mary to be with child during this time would have been devastating for the future of this couple. An abrupt and painful end to a story that was really just beginning. We read in the text that Joseph was a righteous man, one who was faithful to the law, but his options here seem limited. There is really only one way forward as he sees it. The marriage would need to end. Perhaps he had seen this story played out already in his community and that the divorce was the necessary consequence of adultery. But as we read in this text, we also learn something tender about Joseph. He has no desire, we read, to disgrace or publicly shame Mary. So alongside his commitment to righteousness and the path of obedience, we find some graciousness. He would divorce her quietly. His own humiliation in this scenario did not breed retaliation within him. And we make note of that, I think, as we read. There's something gentle about the spirit of Joseph. Not every righteous man in this society would have chosen what he chose, a quiet divorce. A humiliated man in that culture would have every right to bring public charges against his wife. We don't know, really, if Mary tried to tell him about her divine encounter. Even if she had, it would have been very difficult to believe. You know, there was precedence for God intervening in the birth process. We have testimony, written scripture, of God opening the wombs of barren women, Sarah, Rachel, Hannah. But this claim went far beyond that. And so for Joseph, this story was over. He could not see or imagine 
a way forward with Mary. Now for us, as we open this story 2,000 years later, from our place in time and history, we kind of barely pause over this part of the story. We want to say, Joseph, it's true. It's actually from the Holy Spirit. It's okay. You can marry her. It's going to turn out all right. But we've got to pause in this moment because to us, it's really clear. To Joseph, it's not so clear. He's stuck. He cannot continue with this marriage. Psychologist Edwin Friedman has coined the term imaginative gridlock, which is when our imaginations kind of shut down. Joseph, I think, is in a moment of imaginative gridlock. He has no ability at this point to see a way forward, to imagine a different way for his story to end. We can see the path as the reader. Joseph takes Mary as his wife. Joseph becomes the earthly father of Jesus and everything turns out okay. In fact, everything turns out more than okay. But Joseph cannot see what we see. He doesn't know what we know. But somehow, in between his decision to divorce Mary and his decision to take her home to be his wife, something happens. In that space in between, while he is asleep, Joseph has a breakthrough. His imaginative gridlock bursts open and he is released. One night he goes to sleep, determined to walk away from Mary, and by morning he is moving once again toward his beloved. In the text we read that Joseph considered what he should do in verse 20, which means he really thought long and hard about his dilemma. He gave serious thought to his situation. What should he do? And it seems that he kept coming back to the same answer, walk away. One of the ways to break through imaginative gridlock, writes Friedman, is to stop asking the same question and expecting a new answer. Instead, the way forward is to begin to ask new questions, to have a paradigm shift, to reframe the situation in front of you and to see it differently. But honestly, it's really difficult to make that shift on our own. Often we need somebody else to come alongside and help us shift our thinking about the situations that we're in. You know, one of the most beloved holiday stories in our Christmas basket is the Polar Express. And it stands out as a wonderful and very strange story of imagination and adventure. A little boy is growing up, and the stories of Santa that he embraced as a child are beginning to grow dim. Belief is fading as he moves towards adulthood. Reason and evidence have begun to overpower his imagination. And one night he has a dream, and you know the story. He's taken by the Polar Express to see the North Pole to catch a glimpse of what is happening behind the scenes of Christmas. When he wakes up, he believes again, and he carries that belief with him into adulthood. It's a sweet story of how we might remain childlike in our rush to become adults. But it's also about the power of dreams to keep our imaginations alive and flexible. Matthew tells us that Joseph has a dream. 
And in that dream, the angel speaks to him and changes the questions for him and reframes the story and pulls back the curtain of the cosmos. And like the little boy from Polar Express, Joseph gets a glimpse behind the scenes of Christmas. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. God is coming, says the angel. Joseph's question is no longer, what in the world am I to do? The question now is, what is God doing in the world? And what is my part? His question is no longer, how do I quietly opt out, but how do I boldly opt in? Joseph's I'm leaving is drowned out by God's I'm coming. And as Joseph sleeps that night, God shifts his world, reframes his life, and then sets his feet firmly on the path ahead. So as we enter Advent this year, what about us? What about you? Where are you quietly opting out right now? Where have you decided that there are places in your life that are dead to God? And you have written up the divorce papers, if you will, asking God to quietly leave you alone. Is it possible that there is more going on in your life then you know. Is it possible that God is something up to something much bigger in your life than even you could imagine? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is conceiving something within your life that you can't yet begin to see? And like Joseph, God could be asking you to have faith, to stay the course, to be obedient, and to trust the Holy Spirit in your life. I believe it's possible even likely. You see, twice in this story, Matthew writes about Mary's pregnancy being through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And then he connects the dots to the prophecy from Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And again, he writes, Joseph did not consummate the marriage with Mary until Jesus was born. Why is it so important for Matthew to let us know that Joseph had absolutely nothing to do with Jesus' conception and birth? perhaps to make it clear that it is entirely the work of God to bring Jesus into our midst. It is entirely the work of the Spirit to bring the life of Christ into this world. And it's entirely the work of Christ to bring Christ's life to you. Entirely the work of the Spirit to birth the good work of Christ in you and then to see it through. In the places of deep pain and challenge, God is not absent. He's entirely present, working. And our job is not to opt out, but to deeply opt in, even when the path ahead looks difficult or is unknown. We light the first candle of Advent today, the candle of faith, because to opt into a journey of waiting takes faith and trust, and hope. And like a lover waiting for her beloved to come, so we wait for the one who loves us 
to come into this world. Like a lover waiting for her beloved, so God comes for us at Christmas. The good news of Christmas is, I am coming for you. God himself draws near. He leaps across mountains. He bounds across the hills. He makes his way through barriers. He sees you through fences. He weathers the storms. He comes through the winter snow. He races across time and space and eternity for you, to rescue you, to be with you out of a deep and passionate love for you. You are his beloved. What if it were true that your truest name, your truest identity, the most important gift that God wants you to open and receive this year is the gift of knowing and believing that you are God's beloved. The Song of Songs that Pat read earlier gives us a picture, of a beautiful picture of a lover coming for his beloved. What if the gift of Christmas for you this year is the gift of being named God's beloved? How does that change your entrance into Advent this year? You know, Catholic priest Henry Nouwen writes that being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. It is who we are, truly. You are God's beloved. My guess is that there are many names that compete with that name for you, names that we get locked into, that we believe are our names, names like failure, Disappointment, unlovable, sadness, no good, broken, difficult, guilty. But those aren't your names. That's not who you are at the core of your being. That's not your true name. Your true name is God's beloved, one loved by God deeply and passionately. And so I want to invite us for the next four weeks to live as God's beloved, to live into Advent as one who is loved by God. And we're gonna have to probably help each other with this because as you know, it's a very busy season, so many things to do. We're gonna have to remind each other who we are. So right now, just turn to the person next to you. You are God's beloved. Say that to them. Okay, good. Let's practice that, let's do that. You are God's beloved. You know, knowing your true name and who you are changes everything about how we enter this season. It means that you can walk into Advent, walk into this journey to the manger with an open heart to what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in the world around you. There's no need to perform or produce. There's no need to prove or accomplish. It's simply a space we enter where we can be cherished and loved, where we can receive and delight. Knowing who we are changes everything. Now, I mentioned earlier that my, one of my favorite Christmas story books is Grumpy Badger's Christmas. So I'm gonna talk about that. You know, Grumpy Badger, it's probably because his character is based on the Dickens classic Christmas character, Ebenezer Scrooge. You probably figured that out. But Grumpy Badger is tired. He's grumpy. He needs a nap. He's all about himself. He's not interested in Christmas parties or helping to decorate the, the town tree. Even his words are not very nice. 
But then he has a dream. Interestingly enough, Grumpy Badger, Ebenezer Scrooge, and our central character today, Joseph, are each transformed in their stories through dreams. They each move from someone who is fearful, grumpy, or self-indulgent to one who is generous and other-centered, to one who loves. But it takes an external voice to help them see. Something has to break in from the outside. And at this point, I'm just going to leave Grumpy Badger behind because that's going to get weird to keep him in this comparison. The reality is that our transformation and understanding who we truly are often needs to come from outside ourselves. It's not something we know on our own. We need a word from above to help us. We can't get there by ourselves. For Scrooge, it's the voice of Christmas past, present, and future. For Joseph, it's the very voice of God who speaks to him. In both stories, the realignment of self necessarily moves each man toward his neighbor to give himself to the other. Henry Nouwen writes that the greatest gift we can give to another person is the gift of our belovedness. The gift of simply being who you've been made to be. One who is deeply loved by God. That in itself has implications for how others are able to receive the message of God's love for them. To see you living out of that place helps others to see that it is possible to live out of God's love, being the presence of God's love in the world and speaking the name of Jesus into dark and lonely places gives the gift of Christmas a shape. Christ himself has come out of love. And so as I close today for this message, I want you to hear God's word for you. As we begin this journey to the manger, this journey of Advent, this wonderful season of Christmas, I want you to hear what God says to you and what he thinks and feels about you. I have loved you with an everlasting love, says God. The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. To live from a place of being fully loved by God is to proclaim the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. I'm coming for you, says the Lord. May we fully embrace the gift of God's love for us this Christmas. May we live out of the place of being God's beloved and may we be sent forth into this season proclaiming the great news. The one who loves you has come. Lord Jesus, as we gather in this place, as we listen to your word, as we get ready to journey together, in this time of Advent, may we understand at the core of our being that it is out of love that you sent Jesus. May we receive 
our true name, your beloved. May you enable us and help us to live out of that place. May you release the gridlock that some of us are in today where we cannot see your goodness in our lives. Send us forth out of love that we might proclaim your love this Christmas. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to sing of the great news of Christmas. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.